Welcome to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. And to all of those listening on the podcast, hello. Whatever time of the day you're listening to this fine program. We've got lots to get to today. Our game previews as a look ahead for this weekend. We've got some quarterback news. A couple veterans are looking for a new place to play. And oh, by the way, uh, that football game last night. So before we get to, because for a game that really wasn't all that interesting, there was a lot that happened last night. And sure maybe was. And maybe because of what happened is why it wasn't so interesting. Maybe too much to happen for Al Michaels. We had to explain to him what a drone was halfway through the game. <laughs> yeah, what a disaster that was. So I wanted to start the show off today talking about Logan Wilson. Logan Wilson being the linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now you're asking, why the hell are you talking about Logan Wilson? Do you know why I'm talking about Logan Wilson? I, I don't. Okay. We're going to call him the Grim Reaper now because three Baltimore Ravens got hurt last night. Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, Odell Beckham Jr. The culprit in all of those injuries Logan Wilson. Did he sit beside Joe Burrow on the team plane? <laughs> That's what I asked my buddy this morning. I was like, do we know if Joe Burrow was injured by Logan Wilson in practice? So Logan Wilson is the new Grim Reaper. And we will start there with the injuries. Uh, it started with Mark Andrews very early on after completing a catch, trying to get down the field, and now he's out for the rest of the season with a significant ankle injury. That one is a massive one for the Ravens, but just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, Odell, no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Joe Burrow gets hurt. And as we know, Donovan, um, you know, I, I know the NFL and its teams love everything that goes along with TV and reporting and everything. But when that still came out of Joe Burrow with a brace on his hand, not a great look for the Cincinnati Bengals. And for those that, that maybe missed the game or whatever, Joe Burrow walked into the stadium with a brace on his throwing hand. Uh, by the way, uh, in case anybody was wondering, he was not on the injury report, which is a big no-no. Maybe he just says carpal tunnel. Hey, maybe he does. And maybe they can, you know. Maybe he was rollerblading. Remember those little wrist braces you had to wear as a kid when you were older? Maybe it was one of those. Is Joe Burrow a fall risk or something? Like, are we worried about his stability on his two feet? It's a so, tensor wrap. He's got some early onset arthritis. Uh, a carpal tunnel from all that uh, from all that gaming. Um, here's, here's the issue that I have, and it's not so much... The, the injury is what it is, and it's horrible for, for the Bengals, and we'll talk about the effect of it. But the news of the day is that the NFL is investigating the Cincinnati Bengals for basically not putting Joe Burrow on the injury report when clearly, um, yes, there was an injury. Here's the problem that I have. It's Zach Taylor in the postgame. And less so about Zach Taylor and more about your PR staff who Zach Taylor is going in there not knowing, I'm assuming, that there is a video and a still out there with Joe Burrow with something on his hand. Okay. How, if you are the public relations staff of the Cincinnati Bengals, not making this guy aware because you have people scouring Twitter all through the game. That's what your job is during the game. 
they basically sent Zach Taylor up there and he got smoked. He's lying through his teeth because he thinks everybody else doesn't know a thing. Well, we all know what's going on. And Zach Taylor went up there blind. So I put that one on the public relations staff. Uh, Not a great look for them. So I I caught this game late as I was coming out of the CFL awards. Yeah, you are a busy, important man. Look at you. I I, I stay busy because I'm not important. But (laughs) uh, they're at the beautiful Avalon Theater in Falls View in Niagara Falls, uh, home of uh, Canada's Got Talent. So. A shout out to our nice friends work. at the city. I'm a company man. We just need a like a Rogers sound effect. And I'm I'm on Twitter as I'm walking to my car, and I'm seeing trending on Twitter, Joe Burrow lie wrist, Carissa Thompson. I'm like, wait, what is going on right now? Did Carissa Thompson tell a lie about Joe Burrow's wrist? Did Joe Burrow lie to? She wrist told another wrist. lie, but not yeah. about the wrist. I eventually pieced it together, and they were separate but uh, somewhat related stories because it was an Amazon game, and she was part of that broadcast. And Joe Burrow wasn't a part of it for long. And you mentioned this, the PR. The PR started early when Bengals Social took down content that showcased Burrow walking with something on his wrist. I'm not putting it on PR. I'm putting it on Taylor because Taylor walked up to that live mic knowing in his mind he was going to lie. Because when he was asked if Joe Burrow had a previous injury, he said, no, not that I'm aware of. What are you talking about? Yeah, Your starting quarterback, the guy who gets, at this point of the regular season, 80, 85% of the snaps, the guy who you're in meetings with as a group, you're in meetings with individually, you're telling me you had no idea there was nothing wrong with his wrist? Yeah, and you're also paying him $55 million this year. I'm pretty sure you know what's going on with Joe Burrow. Assuming there is something wrong with his wrist, but he can play through it, you're managing it. How many throws is he making in practice? Yep. How many times is he underneath center? What's our treatment plan? So for him to say, oh, no, not that I am aware of, he went Arthur Smith. He went. Please, no. Speaking of uh, the Fall Zoo Casino, who performed there last night, he went shaggy. It wasn't me. Because he did not want to open up the conversation about the fact that clearly they knew, clearly that the line on that game would have changed. MVP odds came off the board in the middle of the game. Clearly, it was a short week, division game, one that they got to have. We're going to keep this to ourselves because he's been able to play and manage it because he played well, which Zach Taylor brought up. The fact that he threw a nice touchdown pass and early he looked very good until he didn't, until he fell on it and embraced it. So whether it is truly a wrist or to me it looked like a thumb, there are so many bones in around your thumb and or wrist. That and don't, small ones, too. Small ones that don't necessarily get a lot of blood. So you saw they did get a lot of blood when it ballooned on him, and he had a club for a hand. Now you've got the mini buy. you got 10 days. They've got a couple days to get their story straight because I'm sure the league office is going to make a call. But I, if we're being honest, 
the NFL doesn't want this either. Like, wh- God, no. whatever they knew or did not know, the NFL doesn't want this to be a story. No. So I, I'm interested, and I want to know what you think, on what the NFL does, if anything in this case, because is it a lie of omission? Right? Do we have documentation? Can we prove that there was an injury? Normally, by now, we have the Zapruder tape of someone posting online, oh, that's exactly where he heard it. You can see right there. I haven't seen that. Yeah. So the precedent is there for the Bengals to be fined. It's $75,000 to the team and $25,000 to the coach. This happened back in 2019 with the Steelers. Um, they were fined that number, 75000 and Mike Tomlin fined 25000 when they did not report Ben Roethlisberger's injury and did not have him on the injury report. Although by 2019, Ben Roethlisberger should have been on the injury report every minute. Right. Um, but that's beside the point. The point is here is that, first of all, if you listen to this show, we told you to take the Ravens anyway. So injury or not. But, but before we move on, <laughs> when you talk about that fine, is circumstantial evidence not enough? Is the the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt? And can you say, look, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Yeah. But we don't have anything written. We don't have a prescription for pain medications. We don't have any paper trail that says this player was injured other than a screen cap of something on his wrist. But the thing is, is okay, is that an accessory? Like, did Joe Burrow wear? No, he didn't. He's got a bum hand or wrist or whatever the case may be. Like, I think you can, I think, I think A leads us to B here. I think there is a direct line to, that's not just a part of his fashion statement. That's because he's hurt. Logically, but does it legally? I don't think that it matters. The NFL is is judge, jury, Roger Goodell specifically, is judge, jury, and executioner on this one. They can investigate all they want. It's the picture that will do it justice. Well, before we started the show, Lance Kennedy, who's on the ones and twos for this show, came in and said, let me see your hands. Let me, let me see if anyone's wearing anything. We're going to have guys wearing oven mitts getting off the plane. Yeah. And it's just like teams are going to be overly cautious and now put everybody on the injury report. 53 guys, injury report. Because in reality, at this point in the season, everybody's on the injury report. I know you're being facetious, but... Only half. (laughs) If you you are a head coach, and I'm being dead serious, why not just put literally 53 people exactly general soreness i'm not i'm not i'm not joking that's what i think teams are going to do i think we're going to get to that point and then the gambling industry is going to go loopy because people are going to be like well what the heck is going on here like greg popovich put tim duncan on the injury report and he just put old beside it yes so i, I think at some point you're just going to put like thursday night game there was well when week ten, yeah, when Rasul Douglas got traded from Green Bay to to Buffalo, he was on the injury report as just arrived. Right. <laughs> so like, teams are having fun with it, but now when it's starting to cost you money, I know seventy five k to an NFL team is you find that in the couch. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's it's not an insignificant amount of money, and it doesn't happen all that often. Anyway, on to the game. Uh, it, it felt like opposite day yesterday. Lamar Jackson ends up beating the Baltimore Ravens with his arm. Uh, for the most part, uh, his legs a little bit, 264 passing yards, two touchdowns, 54 rushing yards. And 
he did look a little hobbled. Like that, the ankle injury was clearly affecting him. There was one play where he fell over, right? And that, and that's you know, he was the Joe Burrow fall risk. He should have had a wrist guard on. But other than that, like even after that injury, he was still running the ball and running it fairly effectively. He was not trying to take hits though, as he went down and gave himself up a lot more often than Lamar Jackson has in the past. But when you're able to run the ball consistently as a team like they did, that Bengals secondary was losing guys left and right last night. And of course, ho-hum, Gus Edwards runs in another two touchdowns. He now has 10, the same amount as Christian McCaffrey. Gus Edwards for MVP, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know what we learned from the Ravens last night. It's so hard to, to say because... How much closer is that game if Joe Burrow's in the game, even at 75 or 80% health, right? So I, I, it's a good win for the Ravens. It's a bad loss for the Bengals. But I don't know what we learned about the Ravens that we didn't already know. I'm amazed you put together that coherent stanza <laughs> about that game because the game had, talk about game flow, the game had no flow. None. Every three plays, someone was down or we were stopping for a drone it or was a, a flag lots of laundry yes, too pass interference like crazy it was a reminder to me that early in the year you get these terrible amazon matchups because everyone you know needs a amazon participation ribbon and so you, you get these random teams you don't want to see and later in the year when it's supposed to be okay these are the good games right finally we got one afc north division rivalry Bengals, ravens and it's like oh that's right in these thursday games people just fall apart because you're not supposed to play football 72 hours after you played football and so that was not fun when Burrow left the game, the game left the game. Like, it had no energy, no juice. The outcome was never really in doubt. Never really felt any vibe in the stadium. And at at some point, I'm watching these teams play, and really, my mind's not even paying attention because I'm just contemplating their future. Mm-hmm. The Bengals get the win. They're in pole position. Second place in the AFC, and the Chiefs have a tough... The contest and Super Bowl matchup rematch against the, the Eagles this week. So they could be tied for first uh, by this this time next week. But they lost Andrews, one of the be- one of the best tight ends in football. Their best offensive player, not named Lamar Jackson. If you came into this year and said, "I need a Raven in fantasy," it would be Lamar Jackson, J.K. Dobbins. Or Andrews. Well, two of them are gone. Mm-hmm. I think M- Lamar Jackson's MVP might be gone. Yeah, I think so. And they have the most difficult schedule in the NFL to finish the year. You know who has the second most difficult schedule in that division would be the Cincinnati Bengals, who are now 0-3 in the, the division, 1-5 in the conference, 5-5 five and five overall, which gives them a cool 29% chance to make the playoffs, which currently, as of right now, they are not in, and a 2% chance to win their division. Good luck figuring out who's going to win this division. I mean, obviously, the Ravens are in a great spot now. We talked about the fact that we aren't really believers in the Steelers, and the Browns don't have a quarterback. The Browns don't have a, a quarterback, and but have they ever had a quarterback? Here's the AFC play a picture right now chiefs at one ravens at two jaguars at three dolphins at four steelers at five browns at six texans at seven 
And then you have the Colts, Raiders, Bengals, Bills, all tied with five wins. And then right behind tied with four wins are the Chargers, Jets, and Broncos. Good luck. We could walk around this office into the newsroom, find 20, 25, 50 people, ask them to get a post-it and write down what the ranking is going to be at the end of the year for the AFC. I think we could get 20 different combinations, if that's even really possible. And I think they all could be wrong. I watched two teams who I thought going into the game were good enough to be playing and win the Super Bowl. And by the end of the game, I thought to myself, neither of them have a chance. Yeah, too many injuries. Like the Burrow injury is massive. By the way, I think it would be uh, harder for you to find 25 people here on a Friday than it <laughs> would be to put together 25 different answers. Um, that is so true. I wonder if everyone else's workplace is like that, where it's it's either the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right? Remember those university classes that were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yep. Or... Well, it, I don't remember university classes, oh, but okay. certainly community college. Okay. Those <laughs> post-secondary classes? <laughs> uh, or it's it's the get out in front. It's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you get the, the long weekend on the back end. We're, we're here every day. Yes, we're here. We're bringing it to you. Although I was at home yesterday. I was working, though. You were. I was working and uh, on daddy duty. That was a lot. You were working more than you were. Yeah, I think I have better days when I'm just here. Um, Don't tell the bosses that. Next week, by the way, we get three Thursday games. That could be a disaster because it is American things. That's right. So that could be a lot of not fun for us. Actually, one will be on the air while we're on the air. So that'll be fun. Uh, Okay, let's get to our previews because that was a a bit of a tire fire. Um, At least they hit the over. At That's least they true. hit the over. That's true. Um, some of these other games that we're going to talk about, mm, I'm not sure about that. Let's start out Bills and Jets. Uh, Bills minus seven favorites, uh, which I don't get. Uh, at home to the Jets, the total's 39 and a half. Does this not feel like it's make or break for the season for both of these teams this game? Maybe Buffalo specifically because they actually had expectations uh, after game one? I wanted to say this is a loser leaves town match, but this is a... Put me out of my misery match. You know what I mean? I don't even think loser leaves town is the thing either because you just rhymed off the teams that are in the playoff picture. The Steelers and Browns are in the playoff picture, and you could see either of those teams falling off. But it's weird, though, because it does feel like the division may be the only path to success for either of these teams, too. Yeah, but I don't know if they're catching the Dolphins. No, the Dolphins have to go into a tailspin. Yeah, to me, this is a Josh Allen game. He has bounced back after struggles in the past. He did struggle to start the year against this Jets defense, one that Robert Sala wants to tell you badly how good they are against elite quarterbacks, where they're going to get an opportunity. And as good as they are against elite quarterbacks, they have not been good stopping the run. And so we'll see if the now newly acclaimed two-headed Bills running backfield uh, will have success Josh Allen has thrown an interception in six straight games. Longest streak by a Bills quarterback since Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2011. Yeah. He's got 14 turnovers most in the NFL. This game is very simple. Take care of the football. You know the other team is not good enough offensively to put up points on air, never mind against your defense. Take care of the football and don't beat yourself. Don't call multiple zero blitzes when they're not necessary and when your secondary is hurt and, and not your 
strong suit. Just, when you have the better players. You should win. But you don't have to do anything extra to win. Yeah, it's a good point. So Josh Allen, historically, believe it or not, has been better against the Jets on the road than he has been at home. He has one game with over 300 passing yards. That was in 2020. In every other game at home against the Jets, he has been 239 passing yards or less. So with that being said, um, this let's not forget, the Bills just fired their offensive coordinator. Like Joe Brady's got a lot to prove here too because as much as I think the firing was necessary, that was the only move that they could make because you can't fire the defensive coordinator because he's a head coach. I don't know if Joe Brady has much to prove because the offense has been good. They just turned, they just, they couldn't finish drives. That's here's, the issue. Here's where they rank offensively through week 10. Third in DVOA, first in success rate, third in EPA per play, fourth in QBR, third in yards per play, second and third down conversion percentage, third in red zone efficiency. If you apply for a job as an offensive coordinator and those are the stats that you put up, people are like, signed, I'll take that. So I, I think, can Joe Brady put Josh Allen under center a little bit more? Sure. Can he have some more pre-snap motion? Of course. Can he make sure to target uh, Stephon Diggs and make sure he's either the first or second person in the read progression because Josh Allen doesn't get to the third, fourth, or fifth. Of course, do you know your quarterback lives to take deep shots? So can you make sure that there are some dialed in calculated deep shots so he isn't just making them up when they aren't there? Of course, but this offense has been pretty good. The turnovers in a way are kind of fluky. And so I don't... They're I don't, not when it's Josh Allen because he's making it a habit now. He is, and this is who he is, good, bad, or indifferent. But... There's also numbers coming out now that show, although he, even against himself, who's a high turnover player, although his turnovers are higher and his interceptions are higher this year, actually his turnover-worthy throws are actually lower. So I guess the DBs have gotten on the jugs machine and are catching more of the balls he's throwing to them? Well, the, here's the other thing, and you and I actually did not talk about this after that Monday night debacle. There are some times where Josh Allen throws the ball too damn hard. And I know people are listening going, that's the dumbest thing. No, it's not. Because the guy throws it like 100 miles an hour when he doesn't need to. Like the one to Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis should hold on to that football. But it was a laser. And Gabe Davis is coming across the field. It's not like he's just standing there and like taking a ball from the jugs machine. He's running across the field trying to catch a 100-mile-an-hour football. Like... That's not easy, and it bounces through his hands, and off we go. That's been a real problem for Josh Allen is there are some times where he just needs to take a little bit off of his throw, and it will still get there because he throws hard. But my goodness, sometimes you're just like, Josh, just take a little bit of mustard off of it, and it will still get to where it needs to go. That's a big problem, I think, too. But is that on Joe Brady? Or is that no, on that's on the quarterback. That's the, that's, you got to know, at this point, we're well into Josh Allen's career. You need to have figured that out. That's on you. Right. And, uh, and everyone who's like, well, we need Josh to get back to his you know, 2021 level or 2020 level. And Dayball was the perfect elixir for Josh Allen. I'm not going to take anything away from Brian Dayball. He did a great job. But you know who his quarterback coach was? It was, it was Ken Dorsey. Like, he, yeah. he he was in his ear that time. So we'll see. They, they go and they get another uh, member of the Carolina Panther Mafia uh, to be a part of the Bills organization and lead it, it, the offense 
We'll see how it, it pans out. But there are no more coordinators to fire at this point. No. Uh, no, there is not. You can't fire the special teams coordinator now either. You've already burned your – you've already shot that bullet. You're you're done now. Uh, for the Jets, quickly, if Zach Wilson has a horrible game, they're still kind of in it. They would be, I believe, five and six. If he gets run out of the building, do we see Trevor Simeon sooner rather than later? Despite – Robert Sala saying that they believe in the quarterback, even after he had that horrible interview with Michael Kay. I think they're just trying to get Zach to December and then have him hand the baton to whatever shape Aaron Rodgers is in. As but if you're five and eight by that point, does it matter if you're handing the baton off to Aaron Rodgers? Probably not, right? Pro- probably not. Uh, I think, well... I'm not. I would not bet on the Bills to cover the seven-point spread, but I would bet on them to win. Mm, that could be a mistake. Uh, Dolphins versus the Raiders. Dolphins minus thirteen and a half point favorites. Forty-six and a half is the total. Shockingly, the Las Vegas Raiders are looking for a third straight win under head uh, interim head coach Antonio Pierce. Here's a question I have for you: If Pierce has continued success with this group. Will the Raiders still make the same mistake like they did with Rich Basaccia after John Gruden left the team? Basaccia gets them into the playoffs and they still go out and hire Josh McDaniels. We talked about the hiring process for the Raiders. Do you think if he continues to have success with this group that he ends up being the head coach of this team going into next year? If they want to keep Devontae Adams, happy. He'll be the head coach because you're seeing the NFL films clips of the post-game locker room, and you've seen Adams engaged and nodding his head and clapping and giving the game ball to Pierce as his coach. It'll be interesting to see who makes the decision because if it is a, you know, Davis family decision, then, you know, they love glitz and glamour and they'll go for a big name. But if it's a decision by... Raiders team president, Sandra Douglas Morgan, who felt like Pierce needs an opportunity. Champ Kelly needs an opportunity. Well, then maybe they stay the course. I mean, the so far, it, everything's looked good. We expect an interim is going to get a bit of a bump, especially when you didn't like the last guy. Jeff Saturday came directly out of the studio and got a win mm-hmm. against this franchise. Yeah. Against Josh McDaniels. So we're well aware that it's a bit skewed given the sample size. But you talk about someone who understands the Raider way. This is a guy who grew up watching the Raiders. And so I think if they continue to not even win, just be competitive, which they weren't before. I I, I think they'll give him a long look. I think they have to. Because I think they have to look at their hiring process and say, hmm. Maybe we're doing it wrong, yeah. bringing in these guys. Uh, for Miami, off the bye, it looks like they're going to get Devon Achan back. Then they get the Raiders, Jets, Commanders, Titans, and the Jets again. It could be the this next the next three games could end up being the division in reality here because you know we we anticipate they're going to beat the Raiders at home. They get the Jets, they get the Commanders, even the Titans. After that, like they should roll four and zero here and then be calm and cool. The question becomes. Are they going to beat a good team before winning the division? Because once you get to the playoffs, 
That's an entirely different story. So that's going to be a very curious thing here for the Dolphins because there is something to be said about being battle-tested. You know, the Vikings last year had a poor schedule and they lost to the Giants in the wild card round. I wonder how much that plays into it with this Miami Dolphins team. Are they going to beat a good team? And can they beat a good team away from home on the road? Especially because when you look at the other playoff teams in the AFC, they're it's almost exclusively going to be cold weather teams outside of Miami. We forget, though, that Achan has been down so long. And with him in that offense, they looked like they would never stop scoring and looked like they were the best team in the league. He's only been on the field for 18% of their plays, but in those plays, 9.8 yards per attempt and 55% third down percentage. When he's been off the field, so the other 82% of the season, essentially, offensively, 6.5 yards uh, per attempt, 38% third down percentage. He's a huge difference maker. And he doesn't need the ball a lot to make a difference. No, he just needs to be out there. You just need to be afraid of him. Yeah. He's one of those guys that, and I don't think anybody expected this, but the speed factor is real. He allows you to do different things with your offense. He because I think I think people are, I think people are slightly afraid of Raheem Mostert because he still does have wheels, but it's not the same. No. And the the difference is is that we've seen what's happened to the Miami offense without him. The thing is is that this week is probably not the week that you're going to unleash him for 15 to 18 touches. He's probably going to get eight or nine. Also depends on game script as well. So I'd be curious to see how they how they deploy him um, in this one and then kind of going forward because he certainly earned more of a role. But he is coming back off of an injury, so we'll see uh, how that one goes. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, to a big, big divisional matchup, AFC North. We talked about the other one. It's Steelers. It's the Browns. Um, and the game total Donovan made me want to throw up. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about all that and more. The fan check down with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you here. As we get you set for the weekend of games, already took a look at the Bills and Jets and the Dolphins and the Raiders. And then we get a game that should feature absolutely zero offense, the Steelers and the Browns. The Browns, by the way, who at last check were one-point favorites. Trying to figure out what I'm missing here. Uh, I said before the break that the total made me want to throw up. It was 33. Too high? I honestly don't know. Because How many field goals is that? 33 uh, divided. That's 11 field goals. Could you imagine a game with 11 field goals? I I'd ask for my, I'd, these two teams. I'd ask for my money back if I was a, a season ticket holder. 11, like, 50-yard field goals. Yeah. Just <laughs> scrumming in the middle of the field. Nobody nobody wants to get to within the 30-yard line of the opposing team's end zone. Um, this never makes it to red zone. Too. No, no, no. And here we are with another field goal. This is a big... Despite our jokes, this one is a big one for both teams. And the Steelers... The Steelers, for me, this game feels like it pays the most dividends because we actually believe somehow 
that they still have a shot in this division because, well, nothing has changed. They still have a horrible quarterback. They managed to win. Maybe nothing has changed for the Browns either, though. If you if you had to lay money right now oh man. on who wins the AFC North. Oh, it's Baltimore. Okay. It's Baltimore for me. You I, know why? I have a schedule in the NFL. No tight end. Do you know why, though? Why? Because they have already they at least have a couple of games on these teams. Because oh. <laughs> I feel like that right now at this point in the season with what everybody's going through, you know, you look at the Bengals without Burrow. You look at the Browns. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's really that much of a leap to say that they're any worse with DTR than they are with Deshaun Watson, but they lost their starting quarterback. That's the fact. Baltimore still has their starting quarterback, and you can make the argument that the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have a starting quarterback. So that's kind of where I'm leaning. But in this one, it's not a great... I don't know. Can he pick it much better in the fourth quarter than Lamar Jackson? Can he play all of his games in the fourth quarter? Because I feel like that's the only way that they might have a shot. He shows up in winning time. I guess. This isn't a great spot for Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Just like it was not a great spot when he started against the Baltimore Ravens. Well, at least he knew he was starting this time. He oh, didn't find yeah. out. Yeah, that's pre-game. true. That's true. And that's what and that's what the argument was with Kevin Stefanski was, well, he actually, you know, has time to prepare, you know, get some first team reps, all of that stuff. Okay, great. But he's still going up against Mike Tomlin who at last check has some success against rookie quarterbacks. Also a bit of a lie as well because you know he did get first team reps because you know who couldn't take them? Deshaun Watson because he was hurt. Yeah, that's a good point. Because you barely could get him to the game. Never mind. So he didn't take those reps knowing that he would start, but he he had to know there was a chance because Deshaun Watson couldn't practice. Hence why he couldn't play. Well, maybe PJ Walker was, well, no, he was still on the practice squad. So anyway, it's it, you know what it is? It's a mess in Cleveland. But still a big game because the division is still up for grabs. And certainly both of these teams are in the playoffs right now, which again, I want to beat my head with this microphone. I cannot believe that that is the case considering how both teams have played. The Pittsburgh Steelers have been outgained in every single game and they're six and three. It doesn't make any sort of sense, but here we are. This game has to, does it not feel like it means more to the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point? Because they're going up against the backup quarterback and they're like, we we really got to win this one. I think it means more because I think we believe they have a legitimate shot to make the playoffs. I think the Browns are holding a playoff spot for someone who will eventually get it when they... We're just keeping the seat to, warm for you. I, honestly, they're a seat filler at those major awards. They just show up in the crowd to make it look full until that presenter or award winner has time to get back to their seat and then go stand in the lobby. The Steelers, every game that they're in and trying to pick it and decipher who will win and what should happen, it's almost like playing a secret Santa where you're like, you're opening this. Do I want this? Do I want to trade and steal something? Do I want to keep it? Is there going to be something better in the future? I just never really have a good read on should I believe who they are or should I just believe the record and the fact that they continue to find ways to win despite not playing well. Yeah, they. it's just such a – it's one of those matchups that you're like, I'm really – in like the matchup itself because of what it means is so intriguing, but it's a game that you do not probably want to watch because your eyes will bleed. 
Like that's that's how I feel. Like I'm curious to see what the result of the game is. Yes. But God knows I don't want to watch it to get there. I do not want to watch it, but I will be refreshing my Sportsnet score app all the time. Might even put on some push alerts because I'm very intrigued as to what happens. I just don't want to be along for the ride. Yeah, no, definitely not along for the ride. I, I'm I'm not I'm not about that. Uh moving on because uh that totals 33, so That'll be interesting. Uh, Panthers and Cowboys. The Cowboys favored by 10 and a half points in this one. The total is 42. And they're coming off of, let's face it, an absolute beatdown of the New York Giants. But in the same breath, I think we learned something about the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not sure that we learned everything about the Dallas Cowboys because of the matchup. And here's the thing. I don't know how much we're going to learn about them in this game either. They are 10 and a half point road favorites. I understand that. Um, But it's, they look good. They're pushing the ball down the field. Dak Prescott's not turning the ball over. I think basically what you need is, I don't even need to see, you know, over 600 total yards. You got to, like, you win by double digits. I'm fine with that. And that's kind of where I'm at with the Cowboys because until they play good teams, I just expect them to blow these kinds of teams out. Especially the way this game is set up. I don't even think it matters what the offense does. This is famous last words. It's going to go the opposite way and people are going to troll me on Twitter all Sunday. But what do we expect this Panthers offense to do with a receiving core that can't separate going up against a pass rush that doesn't need a lot of time to get home. Dallas is going to be so comfortable playing man-to-man and being so aggressive. And Bryce Young, who takes a while to process, who waits for you to get college open to throw the ball in NFL windows. I like that college open. I know there is a difference, but there, I get it. There is. You need clear separation for him to throw the ball. And, like, you're not going to see daylight between people. You, you want to see leverage. And, and you really have to anticipate that leverage and throw people open. So Frank Reich calling the plays again. Don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I think Dan Quinn is going to be able to have a field day defensively against the Carolina offense. Let's be honest. It just They lost the genetic lottery in this one. Like, they don't have enough dudes to compete physically. They lost the genetic lottery. I lost the genetic lottery too. Um, that is that is a very good point. Here's the other thing too. They're going back to Frank Reich as the play caller. So there's an adjust again, another adjustment for a young quarterback to make. He feel like of but, all the weeks to do this, why against the Dallas Cowboys? But what is it really gonna do? Is Bryce Young gonna get taller? Because Frank Reich's calling the plays? No, I I think you just put him in a horrible spot again. That's what I I don't think they're doing him any favors here. They can do him a favor when they turn in that card and it says Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh wait, that's right. They don't have their pick. Yeah, that's that's also uh, that's also a, a tough go. Uh, the other thing, this is a big one for the Cowboys because the Eagles have a very tough matchup of their own True. on Monday night. So this is a big one. Uh, we got a, a couple games left actually. Uh, let's get to them. Niners minus eleven and a half point favorites. Against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the total is 41 and a half. The Niners are coming off the big win against the Chargers last week. Um, wait, did the Chargers? Why am I blanking on that? Was it the Chargers last week? Oh, this is good radio. Was it the Bosa Bowl? 
No, it wasn't. This is great radio, by the way. I apologize. The Jaguars. I don't know why I put the Chargers there. Two teams that are that underperformed. Two uh, beloved quarterbacks with uh, outstanding hair. Yeah, that's the one. I don't know why I put the Chargers. Anyway, that's a, it was a massive win against the Jags. They snapped their own losing streak. The Bucs are coming off of a win of their own, albeit against the Titans. Here's the thing, though. Are the Bucs going to be able to offer any sort of pushback defensively? The run defense has been really good, but the pass defense has been absolutely dreadful. They're allowing 302 and a half yards per game through the air on the road this year. This feels like the prime opportunity for Brock Purdy and that offense to really ball out. I just don't see a way that Tampa Bay, I know, and I, again, the spread is, is reflective of that. It's 11 and a half points. I just don't see a way that Tampa Bay keeps this within two scores. Yeah, and to me what's intriguing is the other side of the ball. The Niners against the Jaguars had four different players who had four or more pressures. Now you've got Baker Mayfield, another smaller quarterback who doesn't deal with pressure in his face well. I think there's some plays to be made here. I think there are receivers for the Bucks, whether it's Mike Evans in his size or Godwin in his route-running ability – can make some big gains against a Niners secondary that hasn't been great. I just don't know if they'll have the time to do it. So that side of the ball is what intrigues me in this one. And and that's been the case for the the Bucks all year, is that they just, when Baker Mayfield has had time, he's been able to make plays and he hasn't really turned the ball over. It's the pressure that has really killed them all year. And, the guy that's been making the most plays for them on offense has been Mike Evans. Well, what's Mike Evans' big role is to get your ass down the field and catch the football, which he's done a fantastic job at in a contract year. Like you said, I don't know if we're going to get there with this team. Um, For the Niners as well, the defense is, I want to see what else they can do because that was a hell of a performance against the Jags. They were, as you mentioned, they were incredible. That front four is so good. And then you have the two linebackers behind and Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner, like the best front seven. Well, I guess in this case, it's front six in football. Um, I just, again, do, if they go out and dominate, have we changed our opinion on the on the Niners defense because yeah they weren't great in the weeks leading up but they add Chase Young and now it's like okay hold on a second now Nick Bosa can roam a little bit more free he's not necessarily going to get uh two guys covering him but if they beat the Bucks really bad do we go oh wow look at the Niners like they're they're a Super Bowl contender I don't know if our opinion would have changed based on what we saw last week against the Jags I think they are a Super Bowl contender because of the talent. I think the question is, are they going to be able to put themselves in a optimal position to get to the Super Bowl? The easiest way to do that is to win your division. Seattle has played well. They look like they're coming back to earth, and they've got a contest against a Rams team that's getting healthy. They're expecting to get Stafford back, and a team that has played them really well historically. And so I think this is a big one for them just to stay in the hunt to win the division and thus making sure they have a real easier route to get to a Super Bowl. Because if they get there, I think they can win it. I just don't know if they can win three games on the road to do it. The other difference here is too, is with the, with the bucks, if they can, if they can hold 
Christian McCaffrey and and be a good run defense like they have been, that's kind of the only way that they can keep themselves in the game. Like if you're forcing Brock Purdy to be a passer without a run game, that's where things might get a little bit interesting. But the way San Francisco has been able to move the ball when Brock Purdy is not concussed has been pretty good. Uh, This game here, Vikings and Broncos. So if you would have told me after week five that this game would have significant playoff implications, I would have said, Donovan, there's a room for you. We have a jacket. You should put it on. Yeah, we thought it would have significant implications on who would get the first overall pick. Yeah, both teams were one and four, one and four after week five. Not great. Um, Minnesota had just got robbed against the Chiefs, and the Jets had just beaten the Broncos in the Hackett Bowl. And now we look at it and say, look at these QB stories. Josh Dobbs, Russell Wilson, probably two of the most unlikely QB success stories because now we have to call this season a success for Russell Wilson because he's a hundred times better than he was last year. He's not turning the ball over. He's managing this offense. He's not throwing as much, but they're still in football games, winning football games. They're off back-to-back wins against the chiefs and the bills. Here's my question to you at this point, who would you rather have quarterbacking your team between Josh Dobbs and Russell Wilson? Contract aside, all of that stuff how you acquired the player side, how they are playing right now. You need to win a football game. Donovan Bennett, Josh Dobbs, the pastronaut, or Russell Wilson, a future Walmart greeter, the highest paid one in the history of Walmart greeters. Which one do you take? I hate that you made me do this because <laughs> I love Astro Boy. love the story. I love his humility. And I find Russell Wilson to be increasingly annoying. He's a phony. But the numbers tell the entire story. Last year, 15 games in 2022, Russell Wilson had 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions for an 84.4 QBR rating. This year, after nine games in 2023, he has 18 touchdowns, four interceptions, 104 QB rating. Russell Wilson has played as good, if not better, than Patrick Mahomes. Mm Mm-hmm. Quite frankly, actually, I mean, if I'm using that as the metric, Josh Dobbs so has so you're more saying fantasy you'd, points. So you'd rather points. have Russell Wilson over Patrick Mahomes? No, no, <laughs> I, I, I certainly would not. But um, I, I'd rather, yeah, I was going to say something about wives, but I won't. Uh, I, I, I will pick. <laughs> oh, no, please do. Now um, you've gone that no, far. Because I don't know which one I'd rather. Anyway. Oh, I, I, I know. Russell Wilson is playing lights out. He's put on tape, and it was a rough start with Sean Payton, but Sean Payton has got him to play within the framework of the offense, and so far it's been successful. Yeah, and and there's no denying the success of late. And the other thing is we got to point out, let's give some credit to this Broncos defense because the Broncos defense, after giving up 70 points in that game, they were the laughing stock of the NFL. They were horrible. Everybody must go. It's a fire sale. Everybody but Patrick Sertan, you're out the door. Um, And now you look at them and go, held the Kansas City Chiefs. They held the Buffalo Bills. Held the Chiefs twice. Yeah. Only won once, but held them twice. Yeah, held them to 19 points in the first game and lost 19-8. Man, could you see the Denver Broncos in the playoffs right now? I, I could. Badly. Is it because of the AFC and how much of a mess it is? Or do you look at them and say, that's a playoff team? I think 
is because of how much of a mess it is and because they did their hard work early. They've already had their two in-division games against the Chiefs, which we all expected them to go 0 for 2 in. And they actually got one of those games. So the schedule lightens up a bit. And they've won three in a row. They're playing really, really good football. Uh, I mean, I don't think they're a playoff team because I still don't think they're that good. But I do think a team that is a playoff-worthy team is not going to make the playoffs. And yeah, that that's a fair Bills. point. It could be the Bengals. So we'll see. I just, the fact that the Broncos are even in this position, not only after starting one and four, but, you know, losing the Hackett Bowl and losing badly to Miami. And you're going like, okay. If uh, they make a run and make the playoffs, you thought Sean Payton was insufferable before? Oh, God, no. No, thank you. I, I can't I can't do it. I cannot do that with Sean Payton because I know. Okay, best bets time. I'm going with quarterbacks here. And they have the same passing total, believe it or not. Sam Howell, over 249 and a half passing yards. He has that and well over that in his last three games. The Giants have given up 291.3 passing yards per game in their last three. Their offense stinks. Uh, so they're going to be on the field a lot, the Washington Commanders are. And Brock Purdy, over four, 249 and a half passing yards. As mentioned, the Bucks allowing 302 and a half yards in the air on the road. That's going to do it for us for the week. Thank you so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. Download the podcast, subscribe, give us five stars. We beg you. We, no, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. We beg you. We beg you. Thanks to Lance behind the glass. Donovan across the table. We will be back on Monday. Hopefully star players can stay healthy because I can't stand watching Mark Andrews on the sidelines. The same with Joe Burrow. Talk to you on Monday.